Necessity is the mother of invention is a saying that I'm sure you've heard of before. The idea is that if the need is big or dire enough, you're going to find a way to address that need. For cow-calf producers in a drought, the need for grass, water, and money becomes pretty dire. In some cases, necessity starts to verge on desperation. I don't know about you, but I'm not particularly inventive when I'm desperate. So maybe in these kinds of situations, it's more about adapting than inventing. Grass isn't growing? Slow down your herd. Dugouts are drying up. Sell some cows. I'm Derek Leahy, and this is the final episode of the Rural Roots to Climate Solutions podcast series, Getting Through Drought. Welcome to the conclusion of the Rural Roots to Climate Solutions podcast, Getting Through Drought series a series that looks at the best management practices cow-calf producers in Alberta can use to build up their resiliency against drought. We began working on the series back in 2022, with the hope that a better understanding of the BMPs for drought conditions, and a better understanding of how to implement them, and a better understanding of why these BMPs are effective against drought, Alberta's cow-calf producers would have a better shot of getting through the next drought. You've heard me and the people we've interviewed for this series say this multiple times, but it doesn't hurt to repeat it. We all know it's not a question of if, it's a question of when, when it comes to the next drought. We're also hoping the series can help with the mental health issues the agriculture sector is grappling with right now. Farming and ranching are stressful businesses, and droughts are stressful as hell. So we're hoping by equipping cow-calf producers with the information and words of advice from their colleagues and peers in the sector on the best ways to get through a drought, things might not be as stressful in the next drought. Things might not look so bleak either. So far in the series, we've covered water management, grazing plans, feed additives, soil biology under drought conditions, cattle traits, and drought planning. We've even touched on the people side of drought planning. That is, your drought plan will always boil down to the people who have to implement it. In this final episode of the series, we're talking to Ralph Thrall of McIntyre Ranch near McGrath in southern Alberta, so about an hour or so from the Canada-US border. And in this one, Ralph shares his experience managing grass and cows in a pretty dry part of the province. Here's Ralph introducing himself and McIntyre Ranch. We hope you enjoy listening to our last story from the Getting Through Drought series. Uh, my name is Ralph Thrall III. I live in Lethbridge, and I'm the uh, president and CEO of McIntyre Ranching. I've uh, been the general manager for 36 years, chief operations officer, chief financial officer. As many in this industry know, we wear a lot of hats. Perfect. Thank you. Okay. Well, yeah, let's talk about the ranch a bit. Uh, just really like basic details on the ranch. So maybe you could tell us where it is and how much land you're managing. You bet. Uh, the ranch is located uh, about 40 miles south of Lethbridge, straight south of Lethbridge. It's straight south of McGrath, I guess, about 10 miles south of McGrath. And uh, it's it's 87 square miles, 87 sections of land. 
which which 75 of those are native grasslands and 12 had been farmed at one point and they were reseeded back to tame grasses back in the mid late 80s and we've been that's been a part of the grazing program and we don't do any farming and how long has the ranch been around for well it was uh, established by the mcintyre family in 1894 they uh, managed it until uh, Billy McIntyre's passing in 1947. And at that time, my grandfather purchased it from the family. And he was a good friend of Billy, Billy's. Uh, he worked for Billy McIntyre. And that's how it uh, has been and became to be in our family for the last 75 years. No, we are strictly uh, cattle raising. Uh, we've got two purebred herds. We've got uh, a couple hundred uh, Red Angus cows. We've got a couple hundred Hereford cows. And we have uh, about 2,500 crossbred females. So for a close to about 3,000 total females. And the purebreds are effectively... Uh, to raise our own seed stock to breed the commercial side. Ralph also mentioned in our conversation that he views the McIntyre family as pioneer conservationists. He told me they came up from Texas and, you know, they'd witness overgrazing there. So they developed something like a sustainable ranching philosophy for their ranch, a philosophy that Ralph's family continued with to this day. Here are some of the environmental factors the McIntyre ranch has to deal with. Yeah, well, it's an, and, and you're right. Mother Nature is the boss, and those of us in this industry know who's in charge. And we uh, are we work with her. We choose to work with her, and and we take what we get and work deal with it. Uh, in our area, we typically see between May and August, uh, we're seeing just over eight inches of precipitation uh, in that in that window. And so, with the shoulder seasons, we might see another inch or two on top of that. I'm not sure. But that's, that's with 37 years of data that's been collected at, at uh, weather stations in the area. Uh, any other environmental factors you think are worth mentioning? It's probably worth noting that this, the north end of the ranch is at an elevation of 3,600 feet. And the south end is 1,000 feet higher at 4,600 feet. And so what we experience is, is uh, and we're on the Milk River Ridge, so the north third of the ranch is at the lower elevations and the south end is the south two thirds is at higher elevations. So at those marginal freezing temperatures, uh, we can see rain at the north end and snow on the south end. Uh, so that's a, that's a bit of a, a difference. Uh, you know, it's, it's roughly nine miles by 10 miles in size. I think it's like 16 miles from kitty corner to kitty corner. It's not a, a rectangle. Uh, but that's approximately the size of it. When it's windy, usually the the wind covers the entire property. Uh, but when it's raining or snowing, there we can see that certain areas of the ranch get rain, while others don't, and and conversely. So there's not a there's not a constant throughout the entire property as to what our what our precipitation levels are. The other thing I guess worth mentioning, I mean, we are you know for those of us. I don't know how far up Chinooks get. I, I think we're we're in the heart of, of Chinook country, and uh, they're both a blessing and a curse. They, it, it does bring in some nice mildness to some of the harsh times of winter, but they can also really hurt us 
from melting the snow, but not enough, uh, or I guess to such a point where it freezes things up and we can't graze uh, in ways that we normally do. And we don't typically feed our cows in the winter. This is just an operational difference for most operations. Uh, the grass that we have is a rough fescue. I mean, there's a number of species of grass, but the predominant one that gets us through winter without having to feed is is uh, Foothills rough fescue. It cures on the stem, so it's it's got high nutrient value. And again, the Chinooks uh, and our mildish, relatively mild winters uh, permit grazing throughout the year, and and we're very grateful for that because. I know other most most other guys I know in the industry are feeding, and I'm glad we don't. And unfortunately, this year we did get uh, winter come in in November, and uh, right after a warm a good warm stretch in in November, late October, or even November, ground was warm. We got a, a six eight inches of of wet snow, uh, and then right on the heels of that, we turned into minus fifteen twenty, which turned it into ice ish. And then we got some Chinooks, which just shrunk it down, shrunk it down, never got it away. And this winter, we've lost uh, about 45 days of grazing time. And so we're going to be going on. We are just starting onto a feeding program of uh, 2,000 cows, which we normally don't do. question I asked Ralph was what does the McIntyre Ranch do to prepare for a drought? Uh, what I can tell you is we, we've got about 60 springs on the ranch, uh, 50 dugouts and 40 dams and the dams are just little plugs to back up water on on some side slopes and in terrain that normally wouldn't hold water but to get cattle into areas to distribute some of the grazing to get the balance on grazing. So I feel like we're by and large, pretty set up that way. I, I can't remember. I'm going to say I did 20 or 30 projects within my first five or 10 years of uh, being with the the, the company, and uh, we're, we're reasonably set up well with that. So that that goes a long ways. Uh, the only thing is, it does depend on the, the effectiveness of those dugouts and dams is dependent on the runoff. And if we don't get much winter or we don't have heavy rainfall to, to produce a runoff, it doesn't really matter how, how many we have. I think, I think the other thing, Derek, is that it, it, it has to do with grass management. Big part of, I mean, drought is a combination of, of moisture and temperature and the way I see it. And I think, you know, by, by not overgrazing, like it takes very little rain for us to grow grass. We can grow a lot of grass with very little rain. The only problem is we've had, at times we've had plenty, plenty of grass. And the problem is we don't have enough drinking water for the mm -hmm. cattle. Without that drinking water for the cattle, all the grass in the world doesn't matter. So the range is in good health. So range is good health is, is a, is a key component of that because if, if it is overgrazed, you're not going to get the productivity in, in drier or warmer conditions. And so it all adds up, uh, you know, litter, litter by, by leaving some carryover it all adds up to making a difference for drought conditions. I guess, um, some of the other things, you know, we've, we've invested, uh, more and more recently, we've invested heavily into portable water, watering systems, uh, for the dugouts and dams, we've fenced off around some of the dugouts, for example, and then we have a, a fixed, uh, site for wind and solar wind solar battery systems to pump out of the dugout 
so that the cattle aren't going into the dugout and and really uh, slumping it in and you know causing it at some point going to have to create yeah that creates some maintenance to have to go clean it out to increase its area for for holding water again so that's part of it but like I said the portable watering systems is another thing to it just saves on the dugouts as much as anything gives the cattle a cleaner access to to water uh, they're going to be healthier because of it. Um, you know, going in belly deep into a dugout uh, or some body of water that they're not very safe and secure in, they're not going to consume as much water. And no different than humans, uh, cattle need water to be healthy. So it just it just contributes to good animal health as well as as optimizing the dugout wear and tear uh, lifespan. And that's that's probably about it on that one. We don't have many wells on the place. We've got 14. Half of them we don't ever use. And I think just in the past year, and it's taken me a long time to get here, but um, our next step will be to investigate uh, and drill more water wells to supplement the other sources that I've mentioned. Uh, that's gonna, I, I think that's going to go a long ways. I, I, I stress pretty heavy. When we've come out of, of a couple dry years like we have, now I have to pray for uh, a heck of a winter, and I don't want a heck of a winter because I don't want to have to feed cows. Mm. So, but we need the runoff, and and so I start by praying for a heck of a winter, which I really don't want because there's no guarantees we're going to get the kind of rainfall, hard and heavy rainfall, to create runoff. Uh, slow and steady stuff is great for growing grass, but it tends not to fill dugouts and dams. So water wells is going to be a new a new thing for us, and I'm really excited to take off some of the pressure uh, that. Uh, so I might not have to pray for a he heck of a winter. <laughs> Best case scenario, okay. And yeah. with some, you're saying making sure that there's litter and just good rangeland health. What do you folks do to try and make that happen? Like, does it relate to stocking density, or you're like a land EKG kind of person, or yeah, just kind of wonder what systems you have in place for that. Oh, I was fortunate to, again, to not have to have, think too much about it. A system was in place of moderate grazing to leave carryover. Uh, one of the contacts I can put it several, some years into my management, uh, one of the neighbors said, so when are you going to put some cattle in that field? Now, there was a bit of a, a function because, because they're seeing how much carryover we have. And to, to some degree, it was sort of, no, no, I was going to say it's water sources. Well, no, the cattle do get around on the fields, and but we're leaving a fair bit of carryover. So that's the sustainability uh, component. I mean, worst case is in, in extreme conditions, we will have to sell cows because we don't have the grass. We don't have the water. Uh, it, it happened in the late 80s. Uh, we have reduced our herd by about 10 10 percent 10 to 15 percent in recent years because of this this cumulative conditions that we've seen of, of dry conditions so we pay the price on our revenues in order to maintain range health because that's we're growing grass at the end of the day we're growing grass and if we don't take care of the grass we won't be able to graze cattle or whatever is on it Ralph mentioned in our conversation, one idea he's playing with right now is putting snow fences around his dugouts to trap more snow in order to fill up his dugouts. With the kind of winds they get in southern Alberta, I'm sure that snow can blow away pretty fast or be drained of its moisture, a process called sublimation. 
Agroforestry expert Gary Bank talks about sublimation and what you can do about it in episode four of our podcast. I asked Ralph next if he could share some key components of the ranch's drought plan. You know, the key components, I, I've mentioned uh, stocking rates. To me, that's take care of the grass and it'll take care of you kind of thing. That's that's a big one. Yeah, I've mentioned that it it just, by doing that, we, we do ensure almost we're going to have grass under under drier and hotter conditions. It's it's the back-to-back years where we tend to feel it uh, the most, and that's when, again, I start praying for snow in the winter. I think the other thing is it's, you know, we, we do have, we're, we're only grazing 25% of the property at any one point in time. And we're, we're a cow, long yearling operation. So we background our calves in the winter. And then, so our total, total herd size in the winter is about 5,500 head. And then with our yearlings, we push, push up to 85, nine, 9,000 animals. And at, and, and even at those numbers, we're still grazing only 25% of one point animals, you know, be it the purebreds or the bulls or the commercial cows or the yearling heifers, they've each got their areas, which we rotate around. And I think when it comes to drought conditions, it, it really has to do with, uh, with being flexible and not being stuck to these patterns. And we have to be very creative to try to find the balance. At the end of the day, the exercise for me is it's all about balance. It's a good challenge. The greater the challenge, the greater the reward, I've, I've come to say. have had plenty of them. And that's just, it's, it's, it's the attitude to, you know, it's, it's challenging. And I try to like it. And I, I and I do I have. I'm not tired of it. Still up for the, I'm up, still up for working with Mother Nature, as challenging as she could be at times. You know, those are those are some of the things. Sorry, folks, the audio crapped out on us there. What Ralph said was they only graze 25 percent of the ranch at a given time. Everything else is resting during that time. Once they're done with that 25 percent. Then they move on to the next 25%, so on and so forth. So the entire ranch does get grazed at one point. Well, that's, that's I guess, my, my, my thoughts about being flexible is just right, reading the conditions. So, for example, and, and I'll, I'll just take, you know, this a month ago or in the last month, we've got a winter field for our yearling heifers. The snow cover we had was such, uh, and this ice, they weren't getting through it. They couldn't get through it. But in the adjacent field, the next field that's uh, a late summer field, there's some high ground that was bared off from the wind. So we went in and moved the heifers into that field to take off some of the grass that would normally be used later in the year, but we're using it now. Mm. And it's, it's just being careful about what you're taking away from something else. Uh, what was a phrase my father said was, you know, change one grain of sand on one beach changes all of the grains of sand on all of the beaches. So it's it's really just keeping that balance. It's it's just adapting. It's reading the conditions to keep the balance. There is no, it, you know, it's easy to say, well, this is that area, this is for those, but it doesn't work that it doesn't work that way. It took me five to 10 years to realize that. I was so frustrated the five to 10 years, this nice grazing schedule, here's when you move them. It doesn't work that way. And it took me a long time to accept that. And the sooner I accepted that, the the easier my job got to adapting to the varying conditions because they're never the same year after year. And that's where, again, just being flexible and creative to keep that balance. 
culling. Oh yeah, that really comes down to culling. Mm. If we have to cull, we have to cull. That's a judgment call. There's no, there's no point. It's reading the conditions. That's that was the point. Well, I think it's a good thing to point out. Like just because you have a plan doesn't mean you have to follow it to the letter. In fact, it could be detrimental if you do something like that. Uh, from my stress level, it was definitely detrimental. <laughs> Dear, sorry to hear that. <laughs> well, no, but I, I finally learned that. No, it, it can't be black and white like that. It, it's day in, date in to date out. That would be nice, but it doesn't work that way for grass conditions, growing conditions, or as as producers know, um, Mother Nature will say, hang on, it's pouring. Today, we're not moving those cattle. We're going to wait two, three days to when this storm passes or whatever the case is. So it's not black and white, and it's, it is about being flexible. To me, that's what ranching is. It's adapting. As folks who have been following the Getting Through Drought series from the beginning know, the series came about because of the drought and extreme heat of 2021. Those same folks also know that in this series, we've heard again and again from producers that 2022 was actually worse for them. Before the interview, I'd given Ralph the heads up that we're going to ask him about the drought of 2021. Here's what he had to say. I had to turn to my assistant manager and say, what drought are they talking about in 2020? What are they talking about? Uh, and so I went back to, 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 to data about our moisture, for one, over the last five years. And 2021 in the last five years was our highest amount of moisture that we've received in the last five years, at 85% of normal, down to 60% of normal in previous in previous years. So, you know, I, I, I know drought is, it's a, you know, it drought's a combination of, of moisture and heat conditions and time, time of when we get that moisture and time of when that heat comes. To me, then that's what ultimately defines what drought is and the magnitude of that. And I think, think uh, in our in our case, we've been experiencing uh, a number of years of some drier conditions, at least in our region, in our in our microclimate. It's uh, and somebody 10, 10, 20 miles east or west of us, quite different. And so that's a variable that that's got to be at play to some degree, because uh, I really don't. I wasn't remembering the drought of 2021, uh, nor was my assistant manager, and, and we had a bit of a chuckle, but the data says no. I, other than the heat component, we probably had some heat, and, and it's cumulative. I, I go back to the cumulative nature of it for us. Uh, this drought has been a, a, a few years in the making for us. We barely got through our water supplies. We had the grass. Again, our grass is fine. It's, it's, been, it's been strained. And the volumes aren't there or haven't been there because of the lack of moisture, but it's been there. We've been feeling it on the water side, on the water source side. And we barely got through this winter or this past summer, sorry. We barely got it. We just squeaked it through. And so I have been praying all winter for a, a heck of a winter. And uh, you know what? It's it's going to be fine. I think we're going to see some runoff, uh, notwithstanding sublimation. That ice, once it does melt, these chinooks sort of, I think the sublimation does diminish because it's more ice, ice form and it's, uh, it's, it's going to happen, but we've got enough drifting out there, uh, that we will get, we, we, we'll get through. I, I, we'll top up again and I'm, 
hoping we get some heavy, wet kind of, I hate to say it, during calving season uh, in May, April, May. Maybe some heavy downpours in June. That'd be nice. That's all we can do and hope for the best and deal with whatever whatever uh, comes our way and keep it going. If you listen to episode 62, Dr. Masaki Hayashi of the University of Calgary provides a brief explanation on why water-wise 2022 was worse than 2021 in many parts of Alberta. And to conclude my conversation with Ralph Thrall of McIntyre Ranch, in the same fashion we've concluded every interview in this series, I asked Ralph for his words of advice to you, the cow-calf producer in Alberta, advice for the next time you find yourself in a drought. When I look at some of the record high temperatures and record low temperatures in the, in the context of climate change or global warming, uh, I mean, I'm looking back at uh, you know, 90, 100 years ago and seeing plus 30, 40. I'm seeing the record highs and lows 100 years ago. And, and I know things are changing. I, I accept that. I accept that uh, uh, man maybe contributes to that. I also accept that, that nature, that's just part of the natural cycle of what this planet has been about for the millions of years it's existed. And so to me, it's just about attitude. Uh, yeah, we're, we're in tough right now. There's always so much we can do. We can have dugouts and we can have dams. We can have wells. Uh, we can have sustainable stocking rates so that we've got grass to grow. And maybe that'll get it done and maybe it won't. But those are the things. We do what we can do. And then we accept that there's some things outside of our control that we roll with and adapt to. So to me, it just comes down to attitude to, to get through tough stuff and, and yeah, and, and to lower expectations to, on, on revenues. I expect that if we want to be a sustainable, uh, have these sustainable grasslands, we have to decrease our revenues. And that means we can't maybe get an, a, a new a, a ATV or a new truck or a new tractor, uh, maybe as soon as we'd like. I mean, we got to fix it up and put up with it for another year or two, or maybe we can't do as much fencing. It, it just doesn't matter. We just have, to, it's, it's about lowering expectations or keeping our expectations in line with uh, the varying conditions which change every year for decades and centuries. That's the way it goes. We hope you enjoyed our 12th and final installment of the Getting Through Drought series. We also hope you enjoyed the entire series and found the information it provided useful. Maybe you found some inspiration as well. A big thank you to those special contributors to the series. Those people who don't work directly for Rural Roots to Climate Solutions, but without them, we couldn't have got this series off the ground. So people like Grant Lestuka, who, when we first started working on the series, provided us with tons of useful ideas on the BMPs and people we could interview about those BMPs. People like Christine Campbell, who connected us with the right folks at Alice Canada just as she was wrapping things up before her mat leave. And of course, people like the individuals who agreed to come on the podcast to be interviewed. So big thank you to Sean McGrath, Noreen Ambrose, Dwayne Movald, Barry Yaramcio, Art Gordson, Monica Gorzalak, Derek McKenzie, Masaki Hayashi, Blue Set and Mark Campbell, Susan Marcus, Brendan Lesk, 
Ben Stewart, and Ralph Thrall. We deeply appreciate how much you are willing to share about your practices in this series, and I'm sure producers listening to this right now appreciated it too. Rural Roots to Glamour Solutions is an Alberta-based initiative empowering agriculture producers and the communities they live in with climate solution. Rural Roots runs workshops, farm field days, webinars, and the Regenerative Agriculture Lab, produces a farmer's blog, works with rural communities to develop their own renewable energy projects, and of course, we do this podcast. For more information about us and what we do, go to the website, which is www.rr2cs.ca. The rest of the amazing and talented Rural Roots to Climate Solutions team is Marie Galanka, Shiana Younger, and Kristen Mountain. The podcast is funded by a variety of Alberta-based funders, and the Getting Through Drought series is largely funded by Results-Driven Agriculture Research, or RDAR. My parts of this episode were recorded in Calgary, so that means they were recorded on Treaty 7 lands and in the Métis Nation of Alberta Region 3. Happy farming wherever you are in Alberta. And remember, what's good for the climate is good for the farmer.